So they're basically double dipping into your pocket. One business person used the phrase, a perpetual financing machine. Welcome to the Diary of a Researcher, where we unearth controversies, discoveries, and address the uncomfortable topics. Whether you're in academia or industry, professor or student, these are the things worth knowing to give you that slight edge in your field. I am your host, Matthew O'Neill. Open access and the modern day science Robin Hood. Profit over science or Sci-Hub over profit? Today, I'm joined by Dr. Akila Sami, who does all things SciComm for public. Hi, everyone. So today we're going to explore the era of open access, something that we're very passionate about here at Public, accessibility. We're also going to address a notorious Sci-Hub. Now, if you haven't heard about Sci-Hub, are you even a researcher? So it's no secret, we all use it, and some have no shame, they post about it. Okay, so what's the deal with open access? Open access, it's relatively new and is growing rapidly. It started about 30 years ago and the internet facilitated this, the whole information age. Before you'd have to publish in a paid journal with a set of expenses and they'll mail it to you like a hard copy. Now people have started emailing their work around and doing it on forums. The research is no longer limited, so the grip that the paid journals had on the market is slowly fading away. This started with scholar-driven journals, and it kept growing. In the 2000s, famous ones like Biomed Central, Frontiers, Plus One, they started. And for open access, you don't have to pay fees to access it. It's just an article processing charge. Then there was a declaration in 2003 in Berlin to advocate and encourage organizations to support making scientific literature online and freely accessible. After this, it boomed from 20,000 to 200,000 in nine years. So that's a 900% growth. By 2010, it was the mainstream the US, the UK, Europe, and even parts of China were on the bandwagon. In 2018, European funders took it further by removing embargo periods from research that they funded. This is under the Plan S initiative, which aims for open access, but in a regulatory manner that would retain the trust among the scientific community. And they have this whole system because that's one of the main concerns is the reliability of these journals. Um, the latest policy came about two months or more ago with the US. They said that all federally funded research will have to make its results free to read in the public repositories as soon as they are published, which is to come into effect by the end of 2025. Yeah, I just saw that Oxford Academic are going open access in 2023. Uh, they're starting with their bioinformatics journals. Uh, and I understand that all archives will become open access also. And Dr. Sammy, why is it important that we speak about open access? For scientific progress, especially in the last two years with COVID, during the pandemic, publishers removed their hefty paywalls to speed up vaccine development and treatments for COVID. 
So here you see one clear advantage of how fast we can advance science. Just a few open access made such a big difference. You can't imagine the difference if they were all open access. And how has open access facilitated this? Or in other words, what are the advantages of open access? Firstly, you have less duplication and more noble ideas. Resources don't get wasted. You get to build upon research rather than go in circles. People could be doing work that has already been done and no one would know until the time has already passed or has been wasted. The next thing is that you do research to change the world, to make a difference. This is only possible if you share it with the world. And you can't do that if you have it tightly locked up. So that is an obvious one, increased visibility with open access. Everyone can stay up to date. Doctors can stay up to date with the latest medical info. Entrepreneurs can propel innovation. Education is complete if your teacher uses the latest research. And I could go on with public enrichment and economic growth. We often complain about the gap in research and practice that doctors are not up to date with research. But if the research is locked up behind these paywalls, then it's difficult to read. So we have to address these two things first with open access and of course public. Open access also uses these Creative Commons license. So you don't have to request permission to reuse or reshare. You just have to acknowledge the authors and we all reference our work anyways. So you save time and effort, especially when amplifying your work. Anything that saves time, research gets to the clinic faster and you don't get that frustration. I know many of us, we read abstracts and we want to know more or we come across this good paper. The furthest we can go is the abstract. So now you have to turn to your trusty friend, Sihub. <laughs> yes. Now, before I ask you about Sci-Hub, I think it's worth mentioning that if you can't gain access to a publication, it's always worth emailing the author. They are often happy to share their work, but as you explained, it takes time to write the email, wait for a reply. Some don't even reply and some are afraid to send it to you. They think they will be in trouble, but with open access, there is none of that hassle. Precisely. So let's dive into the notorious Sci-Hub. Do you care to expand? When I started research, it was frowned upon to say that you got it from Sci-Hub. But now no one cares, especially if you're not moving with the time. And you use it because your institution don't pay for access to everything. There's so many journals that aren't free. No university can pay for all. These things cost millions per year. And that would be a subscription to just one publisher. Most of it is profit because the author already covered the cost when they paid to publish their work. Anyways, I digress. The thing is, I'm in the UK and I have access to more. Back when I was in Trinidad, the access was even more limited. And this started with a frustrated science student, Alexandra Elbakian, in 2011, almost 12 years ago. Um, she was a Russian-based neuroscientist, a kind of modern-day science Robin Hood now. She, well, Science Hub, was sued twice in 2015 and 2017 and lost, obviously. The only consequence was that she lost the internet domain and has cycled through a few since then. In my opinion, it powered through. 
Alexandra has been praised by the scientific community, mainly by those who don't even receive royalties for their content, and obviously heavily criticized. Some even exaggerated the repercussions, especially the publishers who were losing money. They told the universities that their security was at risk. Yep, misery likes company. Yeah, no one cared for their woes. She stated that she had no interest in university data or passwords, etc. Those commercial journals just wanted to instill fear for support. As I said, funnily, no one in the community admits to using it, but it serves approximately four hundred thousand requests per day. Just recently, they listed their current collection comprised of eighty-eight million DOI files. This is over two thirds of all scientific publications. Those are big numbers. How was Alexandra able to pull this high stuff? She studied IT at several levels at several universities in Russia, Germany, and the U.S. During her research period in Russia, that's when she got frustrated. And as I mentioned, moving from the U.S. to Russia, the accessibility sort of goes down. First world countries don't feel that frustration as much. However, I think the thing that gave her the ballsy edge was her job after her undergraduate. She worked a year for a computer security firm in Moscow. So, just rolling back a little bit to the court cases, who were they brought by? So it was mainly by Elsevier and some others joined in, like Springer Nature, Wiley, Cambridge University Press, and the American Chemical Society brought theirs. And these were several cases that spanned several countries, like Sweden, Russia, France, Belgium, India, and the UK. Up to last year, there have been several rulings. They are still thriving, and they know they can go down at any time as well. It's not simple for reasons I may not understand, but one thing is that every action that has been taken against them has turned into free advertising and increased traffic to their website. Okay, so this is、um, really interesting, and I have a couple of more questions on this. Firstly. Uh, how are they funded? And I ask because I remember Napster,、uh, which is a brilliant free file sharing platform, but they didn't really foresee or regulate their copyright infringement. And because they started free, if I remember correctly, they were sued for millions. They switched over to a subscription mode, but by then everybody was really spoiled with the free mode. And so, like, like we see with other platforms, the users dropped drastically, and it had to be sold off. She's funded mainly by user donations. Okay, and how do they, you know, how, where where do they get their content from? How do they access or supply the papers for their users? I don't know much about IT, but they use leak credentials. The source of which is unclear. Some appear to be donated. Some are sold to them before they are published. There was something about fishing with a PH. Um, she denies this, as mentioned before. Those passwords don't interest her. The servers and maintenance are all done by her to prevent more. So it's a tight operation. So at the end of the day, nobody but her knows how she gets this stuff. Okay, and earlier we mentioned that there's four hundred thousand requests a day. This is a a big community of users. It's not just a small group. Do we know where most of the users are coming from? 
So at the moment, it depends on the population, how many researchers are in the country, etc. Um, China is in the lead, followed by the US, France, um, India came fifth. Yeah. So this is going to have, or you know, the effect of SciHub and maybe other platforms that you know we're not talking about today are going to have an effect on the publishing landscape. How has that started to change? Well, now more journals are doing open access, a kind of hybrid model. So they have started shifting, but they're still holding on to the old model. And this will take time to transition. So while some parts are becoming open access, they're slowly increasing the fees for authors so that they can match and maintain their profits. Universities are reducing subscriptions due to the ever-increasing cost, which is then directing more users to SciHub. SciHub has permanently disrupted and changed the industry. They have caused the publishers to propel their own undoing, like the court cases just gave SciHub more attention. Some of these publishers have suspended their services to Russia as if it's a punishment. Russia would just become a pioneer of open access. In 2016, even Nature named Alexandra as one of the top 10 people in science. I mean, it's tough to take down someone who has nothing to lose and is supported by the masses. One research team has concluded that SciHub and other similar sites like it have marked the end of subscription journals because if they take down SciHub, there's just going to be a next one that crops up. So they have to adapt and not fight this. You mentioned expenses of paid journals and article processing charges. I want to talk about this. Firstly, what are these expenses and why are they bad? So for paid journals, you have to pay for your work to be published and then you pay to access it. So they're basically double dipping into your pocket. And I think one business person used the phrase a perpetual financing machine because every year then on or month, you have to renew your subscription as well. So they keep dipping into your pocket. The authors cover the cost and the publishers make the money every year. Then they're increasing the prices and it keeps going. It's truly a great legalized form of ripoff. And they're ruthless. I think Alexandra's predecessor, Aaron Swartz, did something similar with 5 million articles and was facing prison time for a selfless act. And because of this, he took his life. Yeah, it seems like it's profits over people or profit over science when it should be the other way around. Yeah, they need some serious reevaluation. The article processing charge of open access, it's just a one-time fee to the author. It is just basically the inherent and unavoidable cost of editors and reviewers, web hosting, etc. There is no paywall to access your research. And though the fee is bigger, you don't have to pay years of subscription plus all the benefits of everyone seeing your work. It far outweighs these, um, the benefits far outweighs the low cost of the paid journals. And can you give me an idea of what the fees are like? For the paid journals, these fees, they vary. Even for the open access, though they are higher, they vary as well. You have to pay for your work to be published and you pay to accessing. So as I mentioned, double dipping into your pocket. You have the additional cost for pages. If you have colored figures, you have to pay for that as well. And most of these stuff aren't going to print. So why are they charging for colored images? Then you have to pay £40 per month. Um, that's here to access it or over £200 per year. 
that's a really good introduction to open access. But is it as good as they say? There must be a bad side. Um, there are, with everything, there are some bad sides. So a minor one is the increase in cost for the authors. And as I mentioned, this varies depending on reviewers, the field. So the cost has shifted more towards the author. But from when I knew research, you always have to pay something. And most of the time it's the institution paying this. It's a one-off fee. And you have these benefits of increased visibility. And in terms of money, in the long run, you end up saving more than you spend. So it outweighs the input. Now, the impact factor it takes a while to build a high impact factor, especially with open access. But discrimination starts when researchers' worth is ranked by these impact factors of this journal they publish in. And I personally don't follow this. I have seen some rubbish work published in those high impact journals. The Lancet is a high impact journal and they were involved in the MMR autism scandal. I've also seen some brilliant transparent work published in open access. And the thing is, I'm not alone. Authors are now going rogue. They're sacrificing this broken rank system for more sustainable choice. They care more about their work than the rank. It's like choosing the electric car over the luxury combustion car for the greater good. Your rank is then based on the environmental choice itself and not the brand or flash miss. Yes, precisely. I think the only truly bad side, and this has nothing to do with the open access journals themselves, is the predatory publishers that exploit the open access business model to charge the authors publishing fees, but they fake or neglect peer review and the whole editorial processes and services. These few bad apples have caused Distrust from authors and readers who believe open access articles are not peer-reviewed and are of poor quality, but there are directories where you can look up and you can just analyze the email and you would know it's a predatory journal. Often you can't find a website, the credentials on email doesn't match your website, so it's easy to spot them. So what steps can I take? Good question. Um, it takes time before one is flagged in the community. So it takes time before it ends up in these directories where you can look up. But as I said, they claim to be open access. They have a low fee. And we all know that open access doesn't stand on low fees. It is expensive for the author. So they also hide cost. The publishers usually come from developing countries or the US. And the editorial process is not transparent. And I'd probably anticipate that the reviewers are lovely. Um, <laughs> from everyone's experience in journals, reviewers are not the loveliest of people and they are very critical and that's what we pay them for. But if you see a reviewer being nice and they're not critical, it's probably fake. The process is short, their metrics for their impact factor is corrupt, the general quality and citation is low. And as I said, you often can't find a website, not even an office address for them. Okay, that's uh, good stuff to look out for. And as we end, what do you think the future of publishing looks like? I would say the landscape is definitely changing. The, this battle has spanned decades and threatens commercial publishing, something that should have never been started in the first place. 
the future of open access, open access publications have already surpassed subscription-only publications, which may be due to the pandemic. At the moment, it's sort of head and head, I would say. Especially in the US and Canada, Indonesia is doing brilliantly in this area as 10% of the researchers there publish in closed access, in these paywall access journals. But the volume of research there is low. Regardless, um, they're doing great. Universities and other research institutions would start saving money. Maybe it will trickle down into reducing student fees or attaining additional resources like public for their students. Certainly, more needs to be done to support open access. It is clear the best way to take down SciHub and any other that might crop up is to take away their USB, their unique selling point, which is making research accessible and free. Yeah, I think they went after the wrong problem. What's frustrating everyone is the high paywalls. Yeah, I think when they tried to gain support against SciHub, I was like, I actually have no problem with SciHub. They're actually solving a problem and you all are preventing the solution. So usually a healthy mindset would entail using this black market illegal open access as a sign, a pressure to adopt illegal open access. Similar to this notion in business, people often consider competition a bad thing but it should just push you to grow for your customer. Otherwise, you're going to just sit and become complacent because the profit looks safe, you know. Commercial publishing has had its time and it will end if they don't adapt soon. They have to find something worth paying for now. I certainly agree. I absolutely agree, in fact. Just last week, I was trying to write my literature review and suddenly... I don't have access to most of my papers. I'm not sure if the institution didn't renew, I'm not really sure what happened, but it is frustrating. Anyways, if you all would like to have a read on your own, don't just take our word. There is a reading list below. We did not include the Sci-Hub link for obvious reasons, but thank you for listening. And also, if you want to enjoy this ad-free, subscribe or get the public app subscription that includes this and much more. It summarizes scientific publications in audio and text, so you can listen on the go, in the lab, etc. And currently, there are over 100 papers to choose from on various topics. Now, it's stuff you usually would or wouldn't listen to, but it does help fulfill that essential need to read in academia.